Chapter Two of Elsie's Widowhood by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sweet Pea. Chapter Two. Marriage is a matter of more worth than to be dealt in by a tarnishship. Shakespeare. Lester Leland would sail in a few weeks for Europe. He was going to Italy to study the great masters, and with the determination to spare no effort to so perfect himself in his art that his fame as the first of American sculptors should constitute a prize worthy to lay at the feet of his peerless Elsie. Their engagement was presently made known to all the connection, and with no pledge or request of secrecy, her parents deeming such a course wisest and kindest to all parties. Elsie had many suitors, and it was but just to them to let it be understood that her selection was made. The communication was by note to each family, which note contained also an invitation to a family dinner at Ion, given in honor of the newly affianced pair. Of course, the matter called forth more or less of discussion in each household, everyone feeling privileged to express an opinion in regard to the suitableness of the proposed match. It created some surprise at the Oaks, but as Lester was liked and his genius admired by them all, there were no unfavorable comments. At Ashlands the news was received in much the same way, Herbert remarking, "'Well, as it isn't Vi, I don't care a pin.' Everybody at Fairview was delighted. At Pinegrove it was pronounced an odd affair, but just like the Trevillas, in choosing their friends and associates, they never seemed to look upon wealth as a recommendation, or the want of it as an objection. It was at breakfast time that the note of invitation, addressed to old Mr. Dinsmore, reached roselands he glanced over it then read it aloud my great-granddaughter engaged to be married he remarked as he laid it down i may well feel myself an aged patriarch though few and evil have the days of the years of my life been he added low and musingly ending with a very heavy sigh no such thing father said mrs conly in a quick impatient tone i'm not going to hear you talk so about yourself you who have always been an honorable upright polished gentleman but what a wretched misalliance is this she commented with covert delight taking up the note and glancing over its contents a poor artist destitute of fame and money alike to mate with an heiress to hundreds of thousands why poor as i and my children are i should have rejected overtures from him for one of my girls with scorn and indignation which would have been a decided mistake, I think, mother, remarked Calhoun respectfully. Leland is a fine fellow, of good family, and very talented. He'll make his mark some day, and you may live to take pride in saying that the wife of the famous sculptor Leland is a niece of yours, a half-grand-niece, she corrected, bridling, but I shall be an ancient dame indeed before that comes to pass. I have found him a very gentlemanly and intelligent fellow, remarked Arthur and as for money elsie is likely to have enough for them both so she is said the grandfather and he is thoroughly good and will make a kind and appreciative husband added isidore virginia looked scornful and contemptuous he's too goody-goody for me she said but just like the trevillas in that so will fit in exactly i presume well if people like to make fools of themselves i don't see that we need be unhappy about it We'll accept the invitation, of course, Mamma. turning to her mother, and the next question is, what shall we wear? 
"'We must make handsome dinner toilets, of course,' was the reply, "'for, though none but relatives and connections are to be present, "'it will be a large company.' "'Yes, and I've no fancy for being outshone by anybody, "'and Aunt Rose is sure to be very elegantly attired, "'Cousin Rose Lacey and Cousin Horace's wife no less so. "'Talk of my fondness for dress. "'It's small compared to theirs.' "'It is principally the doing of the husbands,' said Isidore. "'Both, or I might say all three, for Uncle Horace is no exception, "'are very fond of seeing their wives well-dressed.' "'An excellent trait in a gentleman, "'the determination that his nearest female relatives "'shall make a good appearance,' remarked Mrs. Conley significantly, "'glancing from father to sons. "'But the ability to bring it about "'is not always commensurate with the desire, mother,' said Isidore, "'Thank you, Isa,' said Calhoun, following her from the room, for she had risen from the table with her last words. "'My mother does not seem to comprehend the difference between our circumstances and those of some of our relatives, and, I am sure, has no idea of the pain her words sometimes give to Grandpa, Art, and myself.' "'No, Cal, or she could never be so cruel,' Isa answered, laying her hand affectionately on his arm and looking lovingly into his eyes. I know that my brothers deny themselves many an innocent gratification for the sake of their mothers and sisters, and, Cal, I do appreciate it. I know you do, Isa. Now tell me what you will want for this. Nothing, she interrupted with an arch smile up into his face. Do you suspect me of praising your generosity for a purpose? I have everything I want for the occasion, I do assure you. But, Cal, what do you suppose Uncle Horace will think of Elsie's choice? He will not object on the score of Leland's lack of wealth, unless I am greatly mistaken. But here he comes to speak for himself, he added, as a horseman was seen coming up the avenue at a brisk canter. They were standing in the hall, but now stepped out upon the veranda to greet Mr. Dinsmore as he alighted, giving his horse in charge to a young negro who came eagerly forward to do the service, quite sure that he would be suitably rewarded. It was the lad's firm conviction that Massa Horace possessed an inexhaustible supply of small coin, some of which was very apt to be transferred to the pockets of those who waited upon him. Greetings were exchanged, and Mr. Dinsmore said, I am on my way to Ion. Suppose you order your pony, Isa, and ride over with me. They will be glad to see you. I want a few moments' chat with my father, and that will give you time to don your hat and habit. Isidore was nothing loath and within half an hour they were on their way. "'You have heard the news,' her uncle remarked inquiringly. "'Of Elsie's engagement?' "'Yes, sir. You were discussing it with Grandpa and Mamma, were you not?' "'Yes,' and he smiled slightly. "'You don't think as she does about it, uncle?' "'No, I am fully satisfied that the young man is well-bred, good, amiable, honest, intelligent, educated, talented, and industrious, seems to be quite sufficient.' My only objection is that the engagement seems likely to be a long one, and yet that has the advantage of leaving the dear child longer in her father's house. Of which I, for one, am very glad, said Isa. What a sweet girl she is, uncle. Yes, she strongly resembles her mother in person and character. He has always seemed to me a sort of second edition of her. They found the Travillas, old and young, all out on the veranda, enjoying a family chat before scattering to their various employments for the day. Grandpa, though seldom a day passed without a visit from him to Ion, was welcomed with all the effusion and delight that might reasonably have been expected, 
if he had not been seen for a month. His daughter's eyes shone with filial love and pleasure as they exchanged their accustomed affectionate greeting, and, as he took possession of the comfortable armchair Mr. Travilla hastened to offer, his grandchildren clustered about him, the little ones climbing his knees with the freedom and fearlessness of those who doubted neither their right nor their welcome. But in the meantime, Isidore was not forgotten or overlooked. She, too, was quite at home at Ion, and always made to feel that her visits were esteemed a pleasure. There was a slight timidity of manner, a sweet half-shyness about the younger Elsie this morning that was very charming. Her eyes drooped under her grandfather's questioning look and smile, and the color came and went on her fair cheek. He said nothing to her, however, until the younger ones had been summoned away to their studies, then turned to her with the remark, "'I must congratulate Lester Leland when next I see him. Well, my dear child, I trust you have not made a hasty choice.' "'I think not, Grandpa. We have known each other quite intimately for several years,' she answered, casting down her eyes and blushing deeply. "'You do not disapprove.' "'I have no right to object if your parents are satisfied,' he said. "'But there, do not look uncomfortable. "'I really think Lester a fine fellow, "'and am quite willing to number him among my grandchildren.' "'She gave him a bright, grateful look. "'Then she and Isa stole away together for a little girlish confidence, "'leaving the older people to a more business-like discussion of the matter. "'On every subject of grave importance,' Mr. Dinsmore was taken into the counsels of his daughter and her husband. His approval on this occasion, though they had scarcely doubted it, was gratifying to both. There were no declinations of the invitation to the family dinner party, and at the appointed time the whole connection gathered at Ion, a large and goodly troop, the adults in the drawing-room and parlors, the little ones in the nursery. There was the Roselands branch, consisting of the old grandfather, with his daughter, Mrs. Conley, and her numerous progeny. From the Oaks came Mr. Horace Dinsmore, Sr., and Mr. Horace Dinsmore, Jr., with their wives, and a bright, beautiful, rollicking year-old baby, whom the proud young father styled Horace Three, also Molly's half-brother and sister, Bob and Betty Johnson, to whom their uncle and aunt still gave a home and parental care and affection. All the Howards of Pinegrove were there, too, three generations, two of the sons bringing wives and little ones with them. The Carringtons, of Ashlands, were also present, for, though not actually related to the Travillas, the old and close friendship, and the fact that they were of Mrs. Rose Dinsmore's near kindred, seemed to place them on the footing of relationship. But we are forgetting Mrs. Travilla's sister Rose. She was now Mrs. Lacey, of the Laurels, a handsome place some four miles from Ion, and mother of a fine son whom she and her husband brought with them to the family gathering and exhibited to the assembled company with no little joy and pride. It remains only to mention Lester Leland and his relatives of Fairview, who were all there, received and treated as honored guests by their entertainers, with urbane politeness by all the others except Mrs. Conley and Virginia, who saw fit to appear almost oblivious of their existence. They, however, took a sensible view of the situation, and were quite indifferent as to the opinions and behavior toward them of the two haughty women. No one else seemed to notice it. All was apparent harmony and goodwill, and Lester felt himself welcomed into the family, with at least a show of cordiality from the most of the relatives of his betrothed. She behaved very sweetly, conducting herself with a half-shy, 
modest grace that disarmed even Aunt Conley's criticism. A few happy weeks followed, weeks rosy and blissful with love's young dream. Then Lester tore himself away and left his Elsie mourning, for half the brightness and bloom of life seemed to have gone with him. Ah, in after days she recalled it all, especially the gentle, tender persuasiveness of her father's looks and tones, the caressing touch of his hand, the loving expression of his eye, with a strange mixture of gladness and bitter sorrow, an unavailing remorseful regret that she had not responded more readily and heartily to these manifestations of his strong fatherly affection. There came a time when a caress from him was coveted far more than those of her absent lover. End of chapter 2